0: reading comes from Acts 2 42 to 47 and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Matt. Would you uh, join me in prayer again? Holy Spirit, we ask for you to bring to light God's word in a way that we could hear, that we could understand, and that would also shape us. Lord, may you go beyond just knowledge and head knowledge with this living word cut deep into our hearts and compel us to live in a way that glorifies you and pleases you. God, we don't merely want to listen to the word, but we want to do what it says. Help us as we journey on with the gift of this scripture that you've provided. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we just hit upon this idea that the church is God's creation, God's gift to us. We didn't create it. We didn't come up with it. That it's a miracle, actually, that sinners could be part of God's family So we're in the Acts chapter 2, and we could spend about five weeks in Acts 2. There's so many things that happened. The most well-known is the Pentecost, and we'll celebrate that in May. But today, I wanted to kind of journey through what what did this early church look like, and that's today's theme, the Spirit-filled church. So George Barnard has a survey in his projection. George Barnard is a Christian statistician. They do surveys. And because of the pandemic, they, ha- they are predicting that 40% of regular church attenders will not come back to church during the pandemic and after the pandemic. 40%. Some of them, a few of them will have changed to a different church. Maybe that's closer or something that maybe they were looking for an excuse to leave. Some of them will just stop going to church together because online they, they think they could attend worship online most of them will not go back to church so 40 percent is the average that i'm also seeing from pastors and churches around us now that's not for every church but that's a lot and so that's a big deal because you and i whether you realize it or not there's something unique about us uh in korean culture uh I see it in the contrast between western and korean in korean culture when they talk about their house or their food they use a they use a language that's plural so they say stuff like which means our house in the western world when you talk about your house most people talk individually it's a western phenomenon my house my food and i think the asian culture is very similar to the middle eastern that there was a collective unity and there's a sign that in christianity you and i were designed to be communal we we were meant to be not alone Um, we share this stat but children and youth group kids who are doing social media are the loneliest generation ever in the history did you know that they are so connected and they have a thousand likes But they are the most lonely generation right now. Gen Z, younger millennials. And so we were designed to be known, not just to have friends, but to be part of a community and fellowship. You and I are designed to be known and want to know others. This is God's design. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book that I think we should do as a church, maybe at the end of this year or next year, called Life Together. Just curious, has anyone ever read this book, Life Together, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer? All right. It's a great book, only 100 pages, a uh, lot of coloring pictures. Just I made that one up. There's no pictures. But it's a great book on what does community look like. And so one of the things he writes is in Life Together, so between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in invisible fellowship with other Christians. It's a privilege. That's cool. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. That God's grace allows us to gather like this, to enjoy the Lord's Supper and baptism, and to share the good news. He continues, Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered, lonely, The proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. I'm going to say, go out on a limb and say this. Most of us did not wake up this morning thinking about church and gratefully say, God, what a privilege that I get to go to church today and see other believers. Maybe some of you did. Even I have a hard time doing that. But did anyone wake up and say, what a privilege that we get to wake up, praise God together with other believers, to hear his word and to pray together. What a grace and privilege. Usually we don't think like that. We think like this. We think like, I hope there's no traffic. Where are we going to eat for lunch after worship today? I hope that person is not sitting in my seat in the pew. Uh, You know, I hope the praise team isn't too loud. Boy, are they going to play a hymn? Is Jason going to talk for 40 minutes? Yes. So we don't think of church as a privilege. Let's go further. We think of church as I'm not going anymore. Why? I don't want to deal with the headache of people. You know who said that? I did. (laughs) I've been guilty of saying that. We were so fed up with people. That we don't see church as life together, but we see it as an option. Let me cut off the negative people in my life. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he continues, and one of the things he says is, how are you going to minister and share the gospel unless you sit in the presence of even your enemies? That's the design that God has given. That's why you're the salt and light. But we have this, I don't like church, I've been hurt, I will not go to church anymore. And who wins in that? The enemy does. And so 40% of people will not go to church because we see the visible element. And what Dietrich Bonhoeffer is suggesting is, we are flawed. We are sinners still. Saved by the grace of God and the blood. But by his grace, we gather together because this is a privilege. And the church said, Amen. We are experiencing the grace of God by gathering together. It's a visible blessing. And did you catch the last part? Some people crave to be where you and I are today. Who? Those in prison, those sick who can't get out of bed. We literally have a church member who says, who's at a nursing home. They don't let them do a live worship service. I've offered. I said, I'll come on every Sunday if you want. I'll lead a hymn. But they put on a TV, and they, that's their church. And she says, I just long to have real worship with people. Do you realize how privileged you and I are at this very moment? So church is not an obligation. It's not a burden. It is a joyful grace gift given to us through Jesus Christ that believers could gather together in this place. And so when we look at Acts chapter 2, we see something phenomenal. And, and when we look at this, I want to just preface this. A lot of us think the church has to be something extraordinary, supernatural, like the best praise team, amazing articulation and homiletics. We want to see the perfect music. But if you look at the early church, and I'm going to say this to the younger generation, who chase after worship services where there's like a thousand people and I feel touched. That's not church. It's a part of it, but the real church is just a gathering of normal, ordinary people doing normal, ordinary things, and God used that to turn the world upside down. So what did they do? Well, let's go to Acts chapter 2. And John, if you could go back to the scriptures, we'll go line by line. Uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 42. So I just want to go, what did the church look like? Why did they look like that? And then lastly, what does that mean for us today? What did the church look like? Why did they look like that? And what does that mean for us today? First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In a layman's term, they were committed to learning more and more about the word of God. They were devoted to the Old Testament. And what did the apostles know? Everything that Jesus taught them. There was a willingness to be formed by God's word. Now, this is not a guilt trip. We don't want to be a guilty church. But when the Bible studies that the church has, has less people than a music program, we may have it upside down. If the time at home is spent with five Bibles collecting dust and you're saying to yourself, why do I feel spiritually dry? We may have something easy to fix you and i are designed like fuel consumers to be fed on the living word of god daily even if it's our daily bread back there just a little bit of that word of god it nourishes us and the early church they didn't go to seminaries they didn't exist yet they just focused and kept learning the word of god it wasn't something they were doing they were being good students You could go to church for 50 years in a Presbyterian church and be spiritually a baby still. Why? We haven't dove into the word of God. We haven't allowed us to mature. We're still on milk when we should be on solid food according to Paul. And so the Old Testament, the New Testament, what didn't exist yet, Jesus' teachings, it all collaborated. And the early church gathered around that. That allowed their hearts and minds to be on the same page. And so that's a whole sermon in itself. But how do you get different, diverse people to be on the same page? We study the word together. We bring in our cultures. We bring in our diversity. But we center on what the truth of God's word. And we see it so much clearer. Seeing it from other perspectives. the same truth. Second, they devoted themselves to the past teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. So that means this. They were committed to spending a lot of time with one another. See if you go to church once every 2 months this is what happens. By the way this is a, let me share with you one of the frustrations of pastor. You go to church once every 3 months there's an event that happened and the church members actually say this, oh, I didn't hear about that. And so after a while I said to them, when you come to church 3 months ago and an announcement is made 2 weeks ago, I don't know what to do. Now we have e-news, now we have a little bit more distribution. But when you are not in the community, you can't know one another. Is that mind-blowing? Probably not. When we are here and committed to each other and eating together, knowing one another, that is being the church. It's simply looking at the people in your pew. Take a look right now. Just look at different people. And saying, do I know them? Do they know me? This is what they were doing. They were eating together they were laughing together. They were sharing food together. And it also implies they were doing the Lord's Supper together. You know how you get people to get along? Try getting two people who really don't like each other to do communion together and pray together. How do you think awkward would that be? Either it'll be so awkward they'll walk away, or it'll be so awkward in a good way it'll reconcile them. Because when you take communion together, what are you saying? I am a sinner. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for me. And you're going to look at the person that you don't like and say, but you don't deserve my grace. N- impossible. So doing communion together, gathering together, this is what the church did. Again, nothing extraordinary, right? Nothing sp- They didn't need a big budget. They just needed bread and juice and wine. Third, they prayed together. They uh, the, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to pray. Um, what does Jesus command often in the New Testament? What do you do for your enemies? He says to gossip about them and lie about them and slander them. That's the other Bible. That's the Satan Bible. The real Bible, Jesus says what? Love them and pray for your enemies. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, but you know this already, don't you? It is impossible to stay angry at someone when you pray for them. It is impossible to pray and stay angry at somebody. Something happens. See, we pray to change things, but what prayer is, why Jesus is so brilliant and says pray for your enemies is the enemy may not change But you will. So pray for your enemies and how your heart softens, how grace pours out. So they pray together in community. This is what something else it does. When you pray for a community, your people and even your enemies, you start recognizing who is the bigger sinner. Everyone say me. Me, me. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. There's a danger of church because we act all pious and holy, so we don't want to show our sins. Listen to what he says. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service, may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur. Because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. Did you catch that? That means we try to act holy, we do worship, we do Bible study. So we put on a good face and we say, God is good. Hallelujah. Amen. And we don't let the sinner come out. We're scared to show our sins because I don't want to stand out. Everyone looks holy. That's what he's saying. We dare not be sinners many christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous so we remain alone in our sin living in lies and hypocrisy the fact is that we are sinners i think that's gold we don't want to be the one that looks like did you see fred over there man he messed up fred oh i feel embarrassed about fred like boy that's embarrassing Okay, good thing I don't do stuff like Fred. And so the church plays an unintentional game to cover up. We don't expose ourselves. We don't share. We don't get vulnerable with one another. We don't say, when someone says, hey, how are you doing, Jason? I'm doing bad. I'm struggling with lust, lies, greed, anger, ego. Well, I, I just wanted to say hi. I don't, I don't need you to share with me your life. But what is Dietrich Bonhoeffer saying? Church is being vulnerable as sinners because we have the answer to being a sinner the gospel of jesus christ and so rather than being grace-filled we are performance-filled this is what causes legalism right legalism is i perform i'm accepted i'm good look at george over there he's got an issue and so dietrich bonhoeffer says we need to become a community that's not threatened that's not scared to share our sinfulness because we have the grace. We have the good news. And so just today, when you go get donuts and coffee, someone says, How are you doing? I dare you to say, you know, let me tell you one thing. <laughs> Could you pray for me? For I'm struggling with this. How will that change the dynamic of life together? We stop playing the games. We stop feeling bad about being a hypocrite. And praying does that. Praying brings out that honest, genuine thing. It's easy to play nice and pious, but when we people are people of praying together, James chapter 5.16 says, So pray for another, for the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. So we could say, pray for me. Pray for me. So if someone says that to you, how are you really doing? And they share. Don't go, oh, okay. Why don't you pull them aside and say, hey, can I, can I say a little prayer for you? And no one's going to look at you weird. Can you imagine people praying in church and people think that's weird? (laughs) That's what we're supposed to do. So they go on. Next verse. Verse 43. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. One pastor uh, looked at all the shootings going on in this country. And he said, if you notice, they all have one thing in common. They came to a point where fear of God and fear of the sacredness of image of God in people have vanished. Every shooter has that one thing in common. There is no fear of God. That's why we call it sociopathic. There is no compassion, empathy, reverence. In the early church, they revered not the pastor. They revered not trinkets. They had awe and reverence and fear in a healthy way of God. So when they gathered together in worship, it was, Lord, you are holy. We are, woe am I, apart from the grace of Christ, what do I have? So this all came and they were able to be filled with the spirit and do amazing things. Verse 44, they had everything in common. Now, ESV version makes me think like, oh, they all were Republicans. That's how they got along. They all had the same liking to music or they were all democrats and today do you know i'm seeing more and more churches labeled by political affiliation than jesus christ you see that too you see flags of this or flags of that what this means is not they had things in common it literally means in a different version everything they had they shared with one another you know the saying what's mine is mine what's yours is yours That was the opposite of the early church. What's mine is available to you should you need it, brother or sister. So they were looking after each other, and they were selling things, and they were giving to one another as needed. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were offering up their homes and food to one another. I want to tell you this. A lot of us think a great church is... A great one hour of worship and we say i go to a great church you know what jesus would say you know what the acts tells us a great church is the people for whatever reason open up their homes and have guests and feed and say hey come on over for for a meal hey could you come over to our house for food i'd like to know your story it's this genuine hospitality And so young people confuse good worship with what they feel in a service. Acts is telling us a great church is because they are satisfied in Jesus Christ, they give up all that they have for one another. They had all things in common. They don't go, mine. They go, ours. What do you need? And this is not socialism nor communism because if you read... It says they did it with joy and gladness, right? And so I want to share with you a story. Has anyone heard of a professor named Rosaria Butterfield? Rosaria Butterfield was a former women's study professor at Syracuse University. She was a devout, extreme, radical, lesbian feminist. Today, she is a mother of four, homemaker, wife of a Presbyterian pastor named Kent, And they live in durham north carolina that's a big left turn what happened well she shares her story and there's so many articles and she wrote a book let me share with you what one of the things she said i talk about what it was like to meet a pastor who was my neighbor when i was a lesbian feminist activist professor i met ken smith the pastor who the lord used in my conversion i thought this man is really smart he and his wife floy welcomed me into their world, and they came into my world, and they didn't act as though I was polluting them. Early on in our friendship, Ken said to me, there's a difference between acceptance and approval, and if you could live with that difference, I can live with that difference. So for two years, they welcomed her, her mocking, her questions, her hostility, and they just loved her and just dialogued with her for two years. She explained that she came to a critical moment in her spiritual journey where the truth of the gospel was visible, and it frightened her, so she stopped going to them and to church. Guess what Pastor Kent and Floyd did? We miss you. You're always welcome. How are you? We're praying for you. No judgment, no debate, no condemnation. Just hospitality. By the way, did you ever meet anyone that became a Christian because they lost a debate? Did you ever meet anyone that, that was so shamed and ridiculed, they said, oh, my goodness, I'm so embarrassed. Let me accept Christ. It was this generosity, this hospitality, this radical selflessness. Hey, can I give you food? And she mocked him, and she went back, and somebody asked her, why did you go back? I don't know. And so over time, the Bible became bigger. So she stopped reading the Bible as a way to criticize it, And she started seeing herself through the scripture and saw it was her sinning against ultimately not Ken, but Jesus Christ. So at that point, Ken and Floyd did not become stalkers, but they came very close. (laughs) They weren't going to let go of me. I stopped reading the Bible for research and started reading it for personal questions of truth, life, and death. It was at this point that I was convicted of a number of sins. I was convicted of the sin of somehow thinking that I had been on the side of truth, justice, diversity, reparations, kindness, and compassion when it was really Jesus who was persecuted the whole time. How do we see truth? Not by mocking or attacking, but by the constant, endless grace and love and the gospel of Jesus Christ that manifests itself In this hospitality and welcome how did jesus reach the woman caught in adultery is there ain't no one here to condemn you neither do i go and sin no more how did jesus address zacchaeus a selfish materialistic tax collector hey can i come eat with you at your house jd greer wrote the early church had no building no money and no political influence and they turned the world upside down if you think we need bigger budget to make the church alive, you have totally missed the point. If you think we need a praise team or the best speaker to be a church, you've totally misunderstood the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need Christ who gives us his grace. And that transforms us to be people of grace. And all that the world needs to see is authentic, genuine humble love that points us to the savior and so how did all this occur two things i'll share i had three but i forgot but these two will be the early church they understood grace they didn't do it because they're methodist or presbyterian or baptist they did it because they were amazed by god's grace that jesus christ died and rose again So grace fueled this counterintuitive passion in them. And God had shown them that being the community of grace extends beyond themselves. It's not just what can you get out of it. God is saying, I'm going to transform the world through you. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer, again, all we can say, therefore, is the community of Christians springs solely from the biblical and reformation message of the justification of men through grace alone. This alone is the basis of longing of Christians for one another. And lastly, the second thing that did it was, what happened in chapter 2 early on? We all know. It's a P word. Can we say it together? Pentecost. So I want to show you this. What made the church so unique? So this is not mine. This is a common, ubiquitously used uh, illustration. Is there any difference in these cans? They're the same print, same color, same size, same material. What's the only difference? One is filled, and one is empty and so god takes emptied right no righteous (laughs) broken sinners and and this is how we live we live apart from god and the holy spirit that dwells in us and what happens when hardship comes is the pressure of life uh, the ridicule the failures they come to us and we're destroyed god must hate me i hate god he disappointed me my father is a failure. I hate my mom. My friends all bail out on me. So we, the pressure squashes us. But this is what the early church, they were not better, smarter, gooder people. That's a word. They were just simply filled people with the Holy Spirit. I hope this works. So, so what, what happens to them? Oh, my gosh, I'm so scared. Simply being filled allows them to endure the pressure, the failures, the brokenness. The church is a spirit-filled community. Amen? We are not smarter. We we haven't figured out better. That's why we don't look at other people with contempt. We look at them with love because the only difference between these two is that God chose to live in me. Because I have given myself over to Christ. And the early church was a spirit-filled church that did this. Not with a dynamic speaker or a praise team or a beautiful building. Simply living life in a way that other people could see. What do you have that I don't have? The Holy Spirit. How? Let me tell you about my main Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's the only difference so what does this mean for us and i'm done remember just just a few things one is god is the one who created this church you and i you think you chose this church i'm going to be a little bit presbyterian and say god somehow knit together that you are here because god had meant to for you to be here there are other people who god has intended that he'll reach through you and me, using us as instruments, carrying the good news of Christ. The church doesn't belong to me. We are the church. The church belongs to God. And we can live this life out through his spirit. Second, if you look at verse 47, the last verse, John, if you could push to verse 47, let's read this verse together. Here we go. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the number, Day by day, those who are being saved. It's not the Lord grew the church. The Lord picked sinners and saved them because of a community of people that lived filled with the spirit for the Lord. This is not a church growth seminar. This is the reality of life that you and I are called to live when we obey God. When we say, yes, Lord. How should our life look? And let me show you a last picture. Is that chart there? Is that chart there, that last one? No? Is it there? Is there a chart on the message? Go to the message? Yes. Okay. So this hasn't been approved yet. <laughs> but just to give us a visual, how does this look? Simply come, invite. And then when the time is right, God says, you belong in my family. And a visible church is a sign of way that you could join through membership baptism. Grow, grow in this faith, and you go and equip and build others up. This is how a church looks. This is how a spirit-filled church looks. Would you pray with me? Just take a moment to pause, and I want to invite us into prayer. Uh, We're going to pray for a few things, and first is just in light of what God has called us to be, pray whatever is bubbling in your heart. Second, there's a slide up there that's going to be showing you a list of things to pray for. Let's see the next slide. And so for about two minutes, actually, I want us to be a praying church. And would you just pray in your own way, loud, quiet. These are the things that we want to pray for specifically today. But you also pray for whatever the Lord is stirring up in your heart about being the church. My prayer is, God, give us one healthy church to help us to be just simply a healthy church that glorifies you. We don't necessarily have to be a big church. We want to be a faithful church that fears your name that joyfully rejoices, that shares all things in common so that we could do your work. So would you just join me in prayer and pray in your own way. And then uh, in a few minutes, Alma will come up and close us out.